I think that's all of the pertinent things to remember at the moment. So let's, uh, let's turn in uh, the Word of God to Luke 22. Luke 22, as we continue looking at this last night of Jesus as he's crucified, we are coming very quickly now to his crucifixion and uh, to the end of the Gospel of Luke here as he uh, takes us through the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, this night which we've been looking at, so it's begun with the Feast of the Passover, them celebrating that and God teaching uh, them through there. He's talked to them about various things throughout the night. And as this night progresses, and this is one of the things I said about Luke 22 last week, is Luke has crammed a lot in here. There's just a lot going on. There's even not everything in here. So once you put all four Gospels together, you see just how much is happening in just a few hours uh, of time. And as this night progresses, the intensity of the night just keeps escalating. Uh, so you know, it started, at least from the, the disciples' point of view, as a normal Passover meal night, but then quickly became something very different, something they were not expecting. And even though Jesus had warned them what was coming and was trying to teach them through it, they, they did not expect what was about to come. Uh, now, with this intensity that comes through the night also comes a great deal of confusion for the disciples, and it just keeps building uh, on top of each other. Jesus has just spoken to them about pride as they've been arguing this very night about who was the greatest and He's told Peter and, and talked to Peter about how he will deny him three times before the morning comes and, and uh, how that would, would devastate him that, that night. But it wouldn't just be Peter. We know from the other Gospels that once this happens, once Jesus is arrested, Peter will deny him vocally, but the others will scatter and disappear. And the only one that stays with Jesus through the whole process is John. Uh, the rest all scatter and are away. But through the night, as they're talking and as Jesus is interacting with them, they, they have their conversations at dinner uh, and that through that evening. And then when they leave the, the room, the upper room that night, they walk through the city and down at just outside of Jerusalem across the Kidron Brook and up into the garden. Jesus is talking to them all along the way. In fact, on that journey between the, the upper room and, and the garden is where Jesus has that conversation we just sang about, abide in me with the vine. That's uh, on their, their trip between the two. And so Jesus is trying to encourage them and prepare them for what's ahead in the night. He's going to, to help them through this trial, even through their failures of trial. You know, as... It often strikes me as we, we read through these passages, study through these passages and these, these nights that Jesus was here, just how, how much Jesus is focused on others during this time. He is bearing a great weight, and it is clear that he is under strain for himself. But even in the midst of all the strain he has on himself, he is still concerned for the well-being of those around him for the well-being of his disciples. And so he's constantly encouraging them and teaching them and trying to build them up and prepare them 
this night for what is about to happen. And as they go through this night, and as we look at these next few passages we'll read in, in just a moment, they are going to, to see in a number of different ways the power of God at work, how God works and what that means. And this is important for them because Jesus has just spoken to them about their pride and about Peter's work and about how they are not enough for what is ahead. They think they are, but they are not enough. And so as they have been talking about that, and that's been still wrestling in their minds, they are going to see now some examples in Jesus' life of what it is to trust the power of God and how that comes out in the work of life. So we're going to look at that this morning, learning to trust the power of God. And we'll see this through Jesus, through the power of trust, through the power of prayer, and the power of the cross. Those are going to be our three thoughts this morning. But let's read the passage, Luke 22, beginning in verse 35. It says, And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, Nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. Coming out... He went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, And drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this this is your hour and the power of darkness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, bless not only its reading, but our understanding. Help us to learn the power of trust even in dark and difficult times. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We look here, we see this night progress very quickly. 
They leave, they will have a, a few moments of respite in the garden as they, they pray through the night, uh, which will bring them into late night, early morning, before they come to capture Jesus. And then we see a series of trials, which we'll look at in the weeks ahead, which uh, are just a disaster in so many ways. But as we begin and look first here at, at uh, our first section here of what has done, we see the power of trust, the power of trust. He says to the mayor in verse 35, and he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, nothing. What Jesus is reminding them of here is that he has proven himself to be trustworthy. He's proven himself to be trustworthy. Now let me ask you the same question for you to consider and think on that Jesus just asked his disciples. How has God provided for you? We've sung songs this morning to remind ourselves of what we have to be thankful for, the provisions that God has given us and the things that he has done in our life. This morning, how has God provided for you? See, Jesus has just reminded them that they are not sufficient to endure this night themselves. They are not enough. They were sure that they wouldn't deny him. So when Jesus says that someone's going to deny him and then that Peter is going to deny him three times, all the disciples say, although Peter gets the, the biggest rap because he's the most vocal, all the others say, oh, no, just like Peter, we won't deny you. So they all think they have what it takes to endure the night. Jesus reminds them it has never been about what they could accomplish. It's never been about them. And so he takes their minds and he reminds them of something which we saw in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. Two incidences there where Jesus sends them out into uh, the, the places of, of Judea and, and Jerusalem to minister the word of God. To preach. And he says, remember, you can look back to them in Luke chapter 9, the beginning of Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends them out. He sends them out with nothing but to rely on the provision of God. Go out and rely on God to take care of you. They preached and they didn't lack anything. He asked them, when I sent you out with nothing and you went out to preach and I told you, trust God, did you lack anything? They thought about it for a minute, thinking back about what had happened, and their answer is a very clear, nothing. We lacked nothing. Nothing at all. He asked a very important question for when we are facing difficult times ahead. How has God provided for you? As you look forward into uncertainty, as you look forward into what is ahead of you, no matter what it will be, this is not the first time you have been there. This is not the first time that you have been standing in a place looking forward, not knowing what's ahead, not knowing what to expect, perhaps in confusion, maybe in fear. This is not the first time you are at where you are right now. You have been there before. It may not look the same, but the circumstances, although they may look different, are essentially the same at heart. Look back at what God has done for you. So many of the Psalms are like that. The psalmist will begin uh, lamenting something or thinking about what, what they have done or where they are, and he will remind himself 
or them as the psalmist, what God has done. They will rehearse the history of Israel or even their own personal history, say, this is what God has done so that I will have confidence in what he will do. And this is where Jesus is reminding him. He says, do you remember what I've done for you? When you were in need, did you lack anything? The answer, nothing. God is trustworthy. Perhaps when Jesus asked them that question, rather than a quick, no, maybe they thought through it. Maybe they discussed what happened in in those days because they were quite incredible trips they went through. Luke chapter 9 and verse 3 says, And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two eunuchs apiece. So they went out with nothing, Jesus sends them out. But those times, they weren't without difficulty. Even though they didn't lack, we know that there were times where it didn't work as they thought, or they were told if people don't uh, let you in, well then just leave them behind. So it wasn't without difficulty in those times that Jesus says, did you lack anything? Certainly had difficulty. But while it had its difficulty, they were times that were filled with amazing things. They saw the amazing power of God at work in their life. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 6, when they come back from this first journey, it says, so they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They saw the power of God in their life. Luke 10, the next time they go out, he sends out the 70, including these. It says, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So Jesus asks a fairly simple question. When I sent you out, did you lack anything? The answer to that question is really a pretty simple, no, we didn't lack anything. But the simple answer to that hides a great depth of more, doesn't it? Because it wasn't just that they didn't lack, it was much more than that. God didn't just provide the simple needs, but they saw the power of God at work in their life. It is so much more than just a simple answer, no, we didn't lack. The bigger answer could be, no, dear God, we did not lack. In fact, we were abundantly blessed. We saw far more than we thought. Jesus is reminding them that he is trustworthy. They are about to go into a night that they cannot handle themselves, that they do not know what is ahead of them. They do not understand. And Jesus says to them, remember this tonight. When I sent you out with nothing, did you lack? No. Gentlemen, remember that tonight. You're going to need that memory He didn't just meet the need, but abundantly blessed. Think back to those times you struggled. Did Jesus leave you empty? Did he leave you troubled? Be reminded that he is trustworthy. He's proven to be trustworthy because he is enough. Jesus is enough. He provides your greatest need. As he tells them what is about to come, so he's going to give them just a little hint of the difficulties that's going to come. And he says, and he continues there in verse 36, then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me, 
and he was numbered with the transgressors. Amongst the things he was going to do for them, amongst the provisions he was going to make for them, was tonight he was going to provide for our greatest need, for your greatest need, for their greatest need. Amongst everything else that he would do this night, amongst everything else that he would do for them this night, one thing he would do is greater than all of it, greater than everything. And it's bound up in those simple words that he was numbered with the transgressors. Of course, it's easy to see that in the sense that he would be treated like a criminal and that he would be crucified between two thieves and mark that as how he was numbered with the transgressors, but it means much more than that. That is not a statement just that he'd be treated like a criminal and crucified with criminals. Transgressors are not just the thieves. Transgressors are all of us. The statement that he was numbered with the transgressors says that he was counted among us. He became like us. This is a statement of substitution. That's what it means to be numbered with the transgressors is a statement of substitution. He was going to die in the place of sinners. He was going to take our place amongst everything else that he would provide For the disciples and for us this night, the greatest thing that he would do was to die in our stead. To provide for our greatest need. We need to trust him that what is about to happen, as awful as it will be, what is about to come before the disciples is going to be tragic and terrible and and terrifying. But this is exactly what he had planned. It is exactly what he needed to do and it's exactly what needs to happen. He is going to provide salvation from sin. So he is reminding the disciples and us through extension to trust him. Because once he's reminded them at the beginning, he says, you remember when I sent you out with nothing, did you lack? And they say, no, we lack nothing. So once he has reminded them about what he has done, then he puts their mind forward and he says, now let's look forward. Why did I remind you of that? Because ahead of you are difficult times ahead. They are times where you're going to think you need to have all of this, where you you think you're going to need to have A sword. Now, it seems Jesus' statement here to go buy a sword is a figurative statement. It doesn't seem that he actually means that they need to go out and buy swords. It's a statement, the whole statement there is an expression of the difficult and dangerous times they are about to walk into. Why would it be figurative? Well, let's look just at the, the clear context that comes up ahead. A few verses down in verse 38, when the disciples say, well, look, we've got two swords. Jesus doesn't say, go buy more. In fact, he uses something opposite there, and we'll see that in just a moment. And then in verse 51, when the great multitude comes to capture Jesus and Peter rips out one of those swords and cuts off the ear of Malchus the high priest, Jesus doesn't say to keep going. He says, stop it. Put the sword away. So Jesus isn't here telling us that we need to buy swords and we need to be ready to fight. It's a statement here of the difficulty that is to come. It is going to be a dangerous time. You are walking into difficult and dangerous times. 
The disciples clearly didn't understand either because when Jesus says, um, you know, make sure you have what you need and, and buy the swords, they look around and they go, well, we've got two swords. So they were clearly thinking along that, that very literal line as well. And they confidently say, we have two swords. Now, two swords among 12 men is not very many to fight a vast uh, legion of soldiers and others that are there with swords. So their confidence in what is about to happen is clearly misplaced. They really still do not understand what is about to happen. Jesus' point was, you can't protect yourself. No matter what is ahead, no matter how much you try, you can't protect yourself. Your future doesn't depend on you. Your future depends on God. Remember, did you lack anything before? So trust me now. The power of trust. This grows a little further as this night progresses. And he moves and as they make their way and they come to the Mount of Olives, into the garden where Jesus would normally go, we find here the power of prayer. And as Jesus shows us the power of prayer in his own life, we see our own desperate need. So he's preparing his disciples He has been through the whole night. Verse 39 uh, continues. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. As they leave the upper room, they head to a familiar place. And along the way, Jesus continues to teach and encourage Like I said before, the song we sang with Abiding in the Vine, that's part of their conversation as they they walk, that they need to live with him. He has also talked to them uh, and encouraged them in the strength about what he is going to do. He's spoken to them this evening about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how he must leave, but the Holy Spirit will come and empower them. So he's strengthened them and encouraged them there. He's given them direction and directing them about what they need to do and what will come. He's prepared them for what's ahead. And John 17, we see he is praying for them. As we've even seen just before here when Jesus speaks to Peter, I have prayed for you. Now through this whole night, as Jesus has been talking to them and and encouraging them and, and trying to direct their minds, did he give them all the answers to their questions? No. They still don't know what's going on. They still don't know everything they need to or at least seem to think they need to know. But was it what they needed? Everything they needed for this night, Jesus had given them. And as they come to the garden, Jesus gives them these words. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He tells them to prioritize prayer. That is why Jesus is there. You know from the other Gospels, uh, probably what's taken place, they come to the garden Jesus leaves most of them, so there at near the, the entrance to the garden. He takes three, Peter, James, and John, and they go a little bit further in. Jesus talks with them for a moment, and then he goes just a little further in to pray by himself. And he leaves them all there, and he says, pray. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. Twice 
he tells them this. The same thing. Right at the beginning, and then a little later on, you see, just further down, he tells them the same thing. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. This instruction we must heed. Now, why is Christ here? He is here to pray. He's telling them to follow his example. Now, even if Christ didn't face temptation without prayer, how are we going to face temptation without prayer? This is the priority he tells us we need to have. The instruction here isn't even to pray for him. So he doesn't say to them, I've told you what's going to happen tonight, pray for me. He knows what is ahead for them and he says to them, pray so you do not fall into temptation. To pray for themselves, Jesus knew what was ahead for them. His disciples, though, that night they keep falling asleep. Right? It's late. It's been a long day and it just keeps getting longer. And as they pray, they keep falling asleep. Jesus comes and he reminds them again, pray lest you enter into temptation. They didn't understand the urgency of the moment. Too often we underestimate the power of temptation in difficult times. Doesn't seem urgent. They didn't recognize the burden that Jesus was carrying. But as Jesus tells them, pray, you must pray. He goes a little further because he knows he's not just telling them to pray. He is there to pray himself. And here we see him in his deep anguish where we find him praying earnestly. It says in verse 41, and he, uh, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Jesus sets the example of what he asked his disciples to do. We're all well aware of the strain Jesus was under this night. You can see it already through the days previously, the strain that is on him. We know the physical pain that it endures, and much has been said about the drops of, of blood that he, he sweats at this time. Verse 44 tells us that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. He prays earnestly. To pray earnestly means to pray with vigor, to pray with energy. It literally means to pray without ceasing, to pray continuously. Jesus is there and he needs the Father's company. He is there to speak to the Father. He did not want to leave that moment. He was there with the Father. That's where he wanted to be. Strain was so great. During this time, traditionally, prayer was made standing up. So they would go and they would stand and they would pray, which is why you see the Pharisees often praying that way. And that was the traditional way that it would happen. But here, Jesus is bowing under the strain. It says that in the garden he goes and he kneels in prayer. The weight of what is about to fall on him is heavy. 
Mark chapter 14 and verse 33 describes this and says, And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. His prayer, this earnest prayer, wasn't quiet. It wasn't restrained. This is one of deep distress. The writer of Hebrews describes it this way in Hebrews 5 and verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Vehement, that is passionate, strong, forceful, intense. This is a prayer which was probably full of groans, and cries, and crying, and shouts. Maybe whispers at time when his voice would give out. This was intense prayer. And this is how we're called to pray. To pray earnestly. In this moment of prayer, in this intense prayer, his prayer is for the Father's will to be done. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why was his prayer so intense? Why was he in such agony and such distress? His distress and his agony and the the burden that he bore was not because of the physical pain. Jesus was not overwhelmed and distressed because he knew he would suffer physically. He knew that was coming, and yes, it would be great pain, but this is not what weighed on him so heavily. He tells us here what weighed so heavily on him. He tells him what caused him to buckle under the load and to cry in prayer. He was about to drink the cup of God. This is the weight he bore. What cup? What does he mean by take this cup away from me? Throughout the Bible, the cup represents God's wrath. The cup of God's wrath. So places like Isaiah 51 and verse 17, it says, Awake, awake, stand up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. You'll read that phrase over and over throughout the Old Testament particularly. But the wrath of God comes like drinking the cup of his wrath, the cup of his fury. So when Jesus bows here under the pressure, he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Jesus is praying here in the agony because he is about to endure the full wrath of the Father. He is going to drink down the wrath of God. Yet knowing the great wrath, he was going to endure. In his prayer, he does not ask to escape. He does not ask to be let go of what he has been called to do. He prays for the will of the Father to be done. Much like the psalmist writes, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. This has been Jesus' teaching all along. 
Pray for God's will to be done. Pray in his name. Now that's easy to say. It's easy to say we need to pray in God's will and pray in his name and it will be answered. That's easy to say when we're praying for good things, when we're praying for God to work or for God to do wonders through us or for God to do something great. It is not easy to pray that when you know suffering is coming. It is not easy to pray your will be done when you know the will of God is to endure pain. But Jesus shows us here what it is to submit to the will of the Father. I will submit even when it means trouble. Submitting to God's will even when it involves agony isn't easy. But here is the great beauty of this night. Strain of what is about to happen, the strain of Jesus having to endure the wrath of God upon his own self, buckles his knees and causes him great pain. And he prays to the Father, and his prayers are answered. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Strengthening him. He, here we learn the power of prayer because Jesus' prayer was answered. He wasn't removed from the circumstance. The father didn't say, oh, look, I see how hard it's going to be. I see what's going on and I can't endure this. I'll take you out. He still endured. The father did not remove him from the circumstance, but the father ministered to him and strengthened him in that circumstance. God always answers prayers made according to his will when it involves glory or when it involves suffering. Even in times of agony, he will strengthen to endure. How do we know it was answered? How do we know the the angel that was sent to him strengthened him? And it's not just empty words and not just an empty company of an angel. Because after spending time in prayer and being ministered to by the Father, it says in verse 45, when he rose up from prayer came to his disciples. In those moments when he's knelt there, bearing the weight of what is about to happen, he's strengthened to the point where he says, all I want to be is here with the Father, but now I get up and I do what I need to do. The Father answered his prayer. Which leads us to our last thought this morning power of trust, the power of prayer, and finally, the power of the cross. Judas brings with him the soldiers to come and arrest Jesus, betrays him with a kiss. And in those moments, what takes place, Peter tries to save everyone and misses and ends up cutting off an ear. Jesus says as they take him, verse 52, Then Jesus said to the chief priest, captain to the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out? as against a robber with swords and clubs. When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. The power of darkness is temporary. It's temporary. He says the hour of darkness has come. They've been trying for a long time to get him. They've been trying to plot and scheme and ways to trap him, but it's never been the right opportunity, the right time. They never could because it was God's time, 
they needed to wait for. But now they've been allowed this opportunity. They've been allowed this chance. And in the darkness of their hearts, they will be used by God to conquer the darkness of hearts. Notice that Jesus says this is only their hour. This is your hour. The power of darkness is power, but only for a short while. That power is about to come to a dramatic end. Sin and death will be conquered. They cannot keep him in the grave. Acts chapter 22, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This is only the hour of darkness. It's temporary. But while the power of darkness is temporary, the power of the cross is eternal. Jesus often calls this his, his time. This is when he would crush sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus would die so that we could have eternal life. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. These events, we see the power of trust, the power of prayer, and the power of the cross. When Jesus tells us to trust God in all circumstances, it's not just words. It's not an empty baseless, just trust me. Jesus showed us what it means to trust God. That he is trustworthy. He has the power to provide for every need in every circumstance. Because the truth is, the lesson he taught the disciples is the same lesson we need to learn. We are not enough. But he is. He is enough. He answers our prayers with strength. Because of what he has accomplished on the cross for us, that was eternal. Not just a temporary patch. An eternal freedom. Jesus genuinely has the power over sin and death. And in every circumstance, good or bad, in every circumstance, he is enough. This is all true, and it's all possible because he was numbered with the transgressors. Believe him today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to think through one of the darkest nights in all of history. The tragedy, the sorrow, the trouble we find in this night, but also the glory, the strength and the comfort we find by learning from you, following you and seeing you walk through it. 
Dear God, we pray that we would learn to trust your power in every circumstance and that in every trial we face, we would come in prayer. Thank you for your instruction and your encouragement this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.